Uh, didn't, didn't you enjoy the program last week? How, was, how many were here? Was that amazing? Didn't they do a great job? I was just seeing so many of them sitting out there and, and wishing they were back up here doing that again. I really was. It was fantastic. And again, I want to thank all of those who had a part of the program and I want to thank all of you who came and brought people. We had, we had a, almost a thousand people here last weekend and we had people trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what it's all about, right? Because we're not in the entertainment business, we're in the soul-saving business. We're in sharing the gospel so that people can hear that Jesus Christ came to this world, died on the cross to provide forgiveness for sins. Now, a few weeks ago, I shared a message with you that we entitled The Fragrance of Christmas. And we asked, what's the fragrance of, fragrance of Christmas? And we know there's many, but in that message we discovered, as Paul declared in his second letter to the Corinthians in the New Testament, that we are to be the aroma of Christ. We're to be the fragrance of Christ all the time, but I challenge us especially to be the fragrance of Christmas at, during this Christmas season. Now to some, they'll be offended by that. Others, they'll join into it, but, but that's okay because that's how it's intended to be by God. I've really enjoyed some of your stories. You've told me stories about how you've been the fragrance of Christmas, and, and it's really been exciting. I know Bob Mendedal, who did the, uh, the lead last week in, in the program, did a fantastic job with that as the innkeeper. He and his family kind of so far have the trophy on the fragrance thing. They dressed up like Mary and Joseph, and they had a baby, and they had shepherds, and they went to a mall and just kind of walked around the mall. Uh, they didn't make a big spectacle of it, but they were the fragrance of Christmas. And they told, uh, wrote and said how many people stopped and just thanked them. And even a Jewish lady wished them Merry Christmas and all that. So, see, that's the fragrance of Christmas. And I hope that you're being the fragrance of Christmas wherever you go this Christmas. Then the week before the program, we talked about the paradox of Christmas. Now, a paradox, remember, is two seemingly conflicting circumstances that are both true at the same time. And we talked about the paradox of Christmas in that on that night when the angels appeared to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, they said this, they said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be to all people. This was supposed to be a celebration. And they said, this is an amazing experience. This is an amazing event in the history of mankind. I bring you great news of great joy. But the other side of the paradox is the first nativity was no Christmas to those who actually lived it. To Mary, who suffered social disgrace being pregnant before she was, she was married and had come to be with her husband. Joseph, who had, had to completely change his life plan and was, was constantly by the Lord moved about. Herod, who, who was very threatened by the presence of Jesus. And, and then the parents of, of Bethlehem and the surrounding area, whose, first, or the, whose sons who were born during the time of the visit of the Magi were all murdered by Herod. That's the paradox. How could it be great news, good joy, when all that was going on? Well, we know because it was the purpose. And that is today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. His name is Christ the Lord. All that took place so that God could rescue us from our eternal damnation, to rescue us from our own sinfulness. Now today, I want to talk about the precision of Christmas. The precision of Christmas, which is amazing, by the way. It says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, Paul now writing to the church at Galatia, he says this, But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, now, that's a huge statement, by the way. When the time had fully come. Now, remember, 
The first time that God gave any indication to man that he was going to send a Messiah, that he was going to send a Savior into the world, was right at the fall of man in the Garden of Eden. God said right there, he said to Satan, when he was passing judgment on Satan, he said, you're going to crawl on the belly, and as a serpent, you'll be the most despised of all the creatures of the earth. He said, and through the seed of woman, I will send one who will, who will bruise your head. He was prophesying. God was, was promising at that moment that he was going to send through the seed of woman a savior into the world. Now, depending on, on what, kind, what Bible scholar you want to believe, that could be as much as, as, as six to 10,000 years before it finally happened. Even later, once Abraham was revealed that it would be through his line and, and David and, and all those that followed, it was thousands of years before it actually happened. But, what does it say? When the time had fully come, God sent his son. Now, what does that mean? Why that time? What was so special about that time that God chose it now, after thousands of years, to have his son finally born into the world? Well, if you look at some some historical and cultural and philosophical circumstances, you see that, that God lined it up perfectly. For example, it was the perfect historical time for Jesus to come. Rome was the world power. And not only was Rome the world power, but Caesar Augustus came to reign. Of all the Roman Caesars that they had, Augustus Caesar was probably the best. He he was the one that brought the most prosperity to Rome. He was the one that that, that brought all the, the, the wealth and the, the, the international influence in a positive way of Rome. He was the first emperor to rule peaceably in 100 years. Before that, for 100 years, Rome had been on the conquest, but now they had conquered the known world. Well, what's so big about that? Well, because the world was at peace, he was the first emperor to order a census of the entire Roman Empire. Now they were at peace. They had conquered the whole world. Now he wanted to know what exactly that meant. So he declared that there would be a census taken throughout the Roman Empire. Now you say, okay, well, big deal. What's so big about that? That's what got Joseph and Mary to Bethlehem. Because that's not where they lived. See, they lived in Nazareth. They lived in the province of Galilee. And here, Mary, full-time, ready to give, nine months pregnant, now has to go to Bethlehem. Why? Because of the census. See, God lined it up to get them. How many women are going to be traveling right at the time they're going to give birth, huh? Any of you ladies want to take that one on, huh? Or would have wanted to take that one on when you were having children? No. But see, they had to do that because God was putting everything together historically. It was also the first time and the first nation that Crucifixion was used in precisely the manner it had to be used for Christ to fulfill many of the Old Testament prophecies, like in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22. It was the only time in history that crucifixion was used exactly the way that it would need to be used in order for Jesus to fulfill all those prophecies. It was the first time a Jewish king was on the throne who was bloodthirsty and maniacal enough 
to order the genocide of his own people. Now, Israel had a series of really bad kings. There were evil kings. But Herod was appointed by Rome. And Herod was legendary for his brutalness, for, for his bloodthirstiness. He was a psychotic ruler. He murdered his own mom, he er murdered his wife, and he murdered two of his own sons. And anybody who crossed him, anybody who threatened him, they, they were, their, their life was going to be taken. And, and we know that when the Magi came, and they announced that they had come to seek the, the king of the Jews who was born. They had followed the star. That's exactly what he did. And, and probably that would have been unprecedented in any other time, any other ruler. As evil as they were, they wouldn't have resorted to that. They wouldn't have had the guts to do that kind of thing to their own people. Also, Jesus came within the last 70 years that Israel still had a temple, that it was still a nation before the great diaspora in 70 A.D. that lasted until 1947. Remember, the 70 years later, after, actually it was probably not even that, probably about like 40 years after Jesus died, Rome came in and they conquered Jerusalem and they dispersed the Jews all over the Roman Empire. And it wasn't until after World War II that they finally came back to their homeland. See, it was the perfect historical time. Everything converged in history at just the right moment for Jesus to be born into the world to fulfill prophecy and to, to be in the nation that he was born to at the time he was born. It was also the precise cultural time. Now, we know that Alexander the Great was the first one to, know, to have conquered the known world. He came before Rome, and the, and the Greeks were powerful, and he conquered all of the world. And when he did that, he instituted Greek as the first universal language. Up to that time, there were all kinds of warring parties in separate countries, and there was no universal language for business or for writing or anything. And so he came in, after conquering the world, he instituted Greek as the formal language, kind of like English right now in this time is the international language that everyone uses for business and commerce and, and, and for communication. Well, the, he established Greek. Now, the Romans, when they became the world powers, they were so impressed, they were so enamored with Greek culture, with Greek philosophy, that they kept the Greek language the same for the universal language of their time, even though their language was what? Was Latin. And they say, okay, well, big deal again. Well, it is a big deal because that allowed the New Testament, which was written in Greek, rather than the spoken language of the day, which was Aramaic in Israel, it allowed it to be written in Greek because that was the universal language, that was the language of literary, which then subsequently allowed the gospel to spread so much faster because everyone in all the world, someone knew Greek, and many people knew Greek, and so they could read the gospel in its original language no matter what country they were part of. It was the perfect cultural time. It empowered the spread of the gospel. It was also the, price, the precise philosophical time for Jesus to be born. Now, now, now get this. At the time Jesus was born, there was great expectation worldwide that some significant leader was coming on the scene. There was widespread expectation that the coming of a great deliverer was at hand. Remember, Rome 
is the imperial power of all the earth. In his book, in his writings, The Jewish War, the most famous of the ancient Jewish historians, Josephus, recorded that about the time of Jesus' birth, the Jews believed that one from their own country would soon become the ruler of the habitable world. The Jews believed that, that it was time. Not only did they believe that, though, but Tacitus, who was a Roman historian, wrote this. There was a firm persuasion that at this very time, the East was to grow so powerful and rulers coming from Judea were to acquire a universal empire. Even the Romans anticipated someone coming from the East. Remember, Rome was in the West. Now, Suetonius, another Roman historian, kind of even brings it to more detail. He says, there had spread all over the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated that at that time for men coming from Judea to rule the world. So it was all lined up. Remember the Magi who came. What, what took the Magi from probably what is modern-day Iraq or Iran all the way to follow the star to Jesus? Well, you remember when Daniel... The Old Testament prophet, when he was brought into exile, God exalted him to be second of all the Persian, first the Babylonian, then the Persian Empire. He was over all the astrologers, all the philosophers. And you want to guess what he taught them? He taught them the prophecy. He taught them about the coming of Messiah. And so the whole world was poised. It's, it's amazing that everybody missed it. Because at that time, everyone was expecting exactly to happen what really did happen, it was the precise philosophical time. When the time had fully come, God sent his son. Now, what do we take home from this today? Am I, I, I just trying to, to give you a little uh, history and, and a little culture today? Well, what's the purpose of this? And what's the purpose of all this to us? How does it apply to our lives? Well, we know this, that the precision of Christmas, that our God is a God of precision. He's not random. He's a God of precision. He's a God who has the power to manipulate history itself to fulfill his purpose. It's the God who has the power to impact culture internationally to set up his designs. It's the God who can put expectations or take expectations away from men and philosophers and, and, and rulers. But he's precise. He's not random. He will fulfill his promise in precise ways. Romans 8.28 says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. What that verse is talking about is people like most of us here today, people who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. We say this, that we know that all things work to good for those who love God. Now, now maybe your life isn't good right now. And maybe as a believer, your life is so bad right now. And your circumstances are so trying right now. 
And you've prayed, and you've been reading the Bible, and you've been doing all the things that we've taught over the years and recommend it during hard times, and you're doing all that, and yet God still seems a million miles away. And right now, you're tempted to think, especially in this season of the year, you're tempted to think that God has abandoned you, and God has forgotten about you. Well, that's not true. See, God is at work. And his decree is this, through Paul writing to the church at Rome. He says, listen, even in bad circumstances, even when life is lousy, even when everything seems to be caving in around you, never forget this, that our God, who is a God of precision, is working in your life. He's working. He's there. He's manipulating history. He's manipulating maybe the culture of your workplace. He's manipulating my... He he is bringing it all together. And somehow, at some time, when the time will fully come, when the time is right for you, when the time is right for your family, when the time is right for your circumstances... God is going to reveal himself and his plan. He's there. He cares. So don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Know that the God of precision is working precisely in your life and in your circumstances. Now, if you've been a believer for a long time and you trusted Christ many years ago, you already know that to be true. Because even right now, you can pull up times when life seemed to be overpowering, and yet you can look back at it and you say, I never want to live that again. I don't ever want to do that again. But you know what? God really did work something good out of that. I lost my job, but I got a better job than I would have ever thought I could have. This happened, that happened, but, but somehow... God turned that defeat into victory. See, because God is a God of precision who does exactly that. He turns defeat into victory. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You know, another thing that, that we kind of fall into as believers in our service for the Lord, in our prayer, in our Bible reading, in our witnessing, in, in, in the ministries that we serve in. You know, you know we, we, we do this for a long time, and, and we're, we're giving a lot to the church, and we're giving a lot to God, and we're serving in ministries, and yet, yet we look around us, and people who aren't living for God, and people who, who are atheists, and people who are ambivalent towards the things of God, their life seems to be going a whole lot better than ours. And, and we, like so many biblical characters, so often say, why, God? And maybe you're even thinking, you know, what's the use? I've been breaking my neck. I've been expending my time. I've been giving my resources to God, and my life is no better. In fact, my life is worse than people's lives who don't have anything to do with them. Well, the answer to that is the time hasn't fully come. See, the time hasn't fully come yet. And Paul's declaration, again, to the church at Galatia, is this, that don't become weary in doing good. Don't become weary in serving the Lord. Don't become weary in giving. Don't become weary in ministry. Don't become weary in reading Scripture and studying God's Word. 
because the time hasn't come yet. I remember the story of old where a missionary was coming home from being on the field for over 50 years. And not some nice lucrative field, a very challenging, a very hard field. Where not a lot of people trusted Christ and it was a dangerous field. And he was coming back and this was before the day of the airplane and he was on a ship. Well, it just so happened to be that President Theodore Roosevelt was on that same ship. And when they pulled into the port back in the United States, there, there were banners and, and, and there were bands and there were people cheering the welcome back of President Theodore Roosevelt. And the missionary wrote and shared in his testimony that he stood there looking over the railing of the ship as they were mooring and all the bands were playing and people were cheering for the president and everything. And he said, really? Really? I've been on the field for 50-some years. I've given my all to God, and there's nobody on that pier cheering for my return. There's nobody out there who cares that I've given my life to God. Well, his story ends, and his testimony ends by saying this. He says, as he stood there looking over there, and, and these thoughts were filling him, he said, the Holy Spirit came to him and said these words. He said, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. See, we're not home yet. This world's not our home. This isn't the place we get rewards. This is the trial period. This is the time when, when we suffer so that we can help others who suffer in ways that we've suffered. And we can be an encouragement to them. And we can lead them to the Lord. We're not home yet. This world's not my home. I'm just passing through. My home's laid up for me somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, you know I have no home but you. If, Lord, you're not my Lord, then God, what will I do? The angels beckon me from Evan's open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, listen, faithful servant of God. You're not home yet. The journey's not done yet. But if you don't give up, that was it say? At the proper time. God will bring it all together just like he did the birth of Christ. He will manipulate history. He'll manipulate culture. He'll manipulate philosophy. He'll manipulate everything he needs to manipulate to bring you home to a victor's celebration that makes any presidential celebration pale in insignificance. See, God is a God of precision. It's always been that way. Now, one more area that I want you to focus on for just a moment. God was a God of precision in the coming of Jesus Christ. At just the right time, Jesus was born into the world. Well, well don't forget this. Christmas has a sequel. Got all these movies out here, and I don't know what, what Rambo they're up to in the Rambo 47 or something now, and he's, got, he's on a walker. I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's all these sequels in Hollywood. Well, listen, there's a sequel coming. Christmas has a sequel. It's called The Second Coming of Jesus Christ. 
And that second coming is not going to be a silent night. It's going to be one of the most dramatic events in history. And that's what I'm going to, I'm going to teach on the first of the year. So I'm not going to teach on it right now. When the disciples were with Jesus and he was being ascended back up into heaven after his resurrection from, from the crucifixion experience. You remember they said, is this the time for your kingdom? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the time. But this thing I'll tell you, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and all the corners of the world. And then after he said that, he just started ascending up into the clouds. Well, Acts 1, verse 10 and 11, they record the response of the apostles, of the disciples, the, the remaining ones, the, the, the 11 that were still there. Judas had already killed himself. And, and their response was probably just like ours. They were, they were kind of watching him go up and their mouths were hanging open. And an angel appeared to them. And said, you men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking up in the sky with your mouths open? I'm paraphrasing now. He says, this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. What did he say? He said, you're not home yet. He said, the journey's not done yet. The adventure is still to come. Jesus himself said this. He said to his disciples at one point, he says, he says I'm going to go away so that I can bring you to me. He says, in my father's house are many houses, many mansions. He said, and I go to prepare one for you. And if I go and prepare one for you, I will come again to take you to be where I am. And now the angels are reminding him of what Jesus is already talking. He said, quit staring in the sky. Close your mouths. This same Jesus is coming back again. And listen, the God of precision is at work putting everything together for that to happen. Now, now see, just like a, a, he did with historically with the first uh, coming of Jesus and his birth and, and culturally and uh, philosophically and everything, and then the people weren't ready, that's how it's going to be in his second coming. But it's, his coming is going to be much more dramatic. But right now it says, Peter talks about it in his second New Testament letter. Chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, and he says, he says, first of all, he's trying to encourage Christians already because already people are turning on Christianity and, 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 and their, their proclamation that Jesus is coming again. And he says in, in 2 Peter 3, verse 3, he says, first of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our father died, everything goes on as had since the beginning of creation. And where is this coming? Don't you know that that's exactly what people are saying about Christianity today? I believe we're living in those last days. I really do. And we see it all the time. We see people scoff and say, you Christians, you guys believe that Bible stuff. You really believe Jesus is coming back? Now, now mind you, this is, Peter's still alive, and already the world had turned on Christianity. Already the world had turned. And now it's been over 2,000 years since Jesus ascended back into heaven. People are going. But Peter reminds us. He goes on to say in verses 8 and 9, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. He says, with the Lord is day as like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. See, God doesn't work on our time schedule. We have this thing called a human lifespan that's that, that's 70 years, that's what the Bible says it is, and some go 80, 90, 100. 
Some don't make it to 70 and die in the 60s or 50s or whatever. But we, we, everything is based around that time span. And, and so in our life, everything's got to fit into that. But God doesn't have a watch. And God doesn't have time. And, and he reminds us, as the Old Testament prophets said the same thing, that to God, one day is like a thousand years in our time. And a thousand years of our times is like a day. And God's, God's world and, and, and God's perspective Jesus just left yesterday. But mark it down. He will return. And right now, that God of precision is putting everything together. And we've seen it in our lifetime. We've lived in such an exciting lifetime. In our lifetime, or, or, or for some of us just before we were born, one of the most amazing things that had to happen before Jesus could come back happened, and that is the Jewish people returned to their land after the Diaspora of 70 A.D., Finally, they went back to their land. Finally, they have a country again. Many other things, other things that are prophesied about his coming are coming to fruition. God's doing the same thing he did at Jesus' first coming. Historically, he's just manipulating everything. Culturally, he's manipulating everything. Philosophically, he's manipulating everything. And mark you, at the right moment in time, Jesus is coming again. Now, why hasn't he come yet? Why is he waiting so long? Well, I don't really know, but Scripture does give us a hint. In this same passage, in verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. His son understands slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know why God hasn't sent Jesus back? Because there's still millions and millions of men and women on planet Earth who have never trusted Christ as their Savior. Now, 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 here's the difference. When Jesus came the first time, when Jesus came the first time, he started the whole adventure in motion. He was born into the world so that 33 years later he could die on the cross so that men and women would have the opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and seal their eternal fate. But when we reject him, we also seal our eternal fate. And it's not popular to speak about that today. Because everyone wants to hear the nice things about religion, the nice things about God, the nice things about the Bible. Don't tell us all that negative stuff. But Jesus spoke as much on hell as he did on love and grace and mercy. It's a reality. And whether it's popular or not, whether it's politically correct or not, it's a reality. And God knows how horrible it is. God didn't even create it for man. It was created for Satan and a third of the angels of heaven who rebelled against him. It wasn't for man. It wasn't for us. God has never intended one human being to send one second in hell. But if any man, any woman does what Satan did and rebels against God and rejects his holiness, then God has no other choice. But that's the bad news. But the good news is the reason he's kept Jesus from coming is to give everyone another day, another chance, a chance to hear the gospel, those who have never heard it before, another chance to receive that gospel, accept that gospel, those who have heard it, who have never acted on it. And maybe God brought you here today to give you that chance. The God of precision manipulated your circumstances in life to bring you here today. 
You didn't plan on it. Maybe you didn't even want to. Maybe you came home for Christmas and your mom or your dad or your grandma or your grandpa, they drug you here. And you came kicking and screaming. But listen, God manipulated all that to get you here, to tell you this. Here's what God wants you to know. I love you. I love you. And I'm holding time. I'm holding Jesus back just so you have one more chance to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's bow our heads. I wonder, are you that man? Are you that woman that God has brought here to receive Christ as your Savior? No one's looking around. I promise I won't embarrass you in any way. I won't point you out. But just so I know whether God is working in someone's life this way this morning, if right now that message I just shared of receiving God's forgiveness and God manipulating all your life circumstances to get you right here today, and you know that's true in your life. And right now, while no one's looking around, every head's bowed, would you just slip up your hand and you say, Pastor Pete, that's me. I've never trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. Somehow God brought me here today and I feel him speaking to me. And I know he wants me to trust Christ as my Savior. Would you pray for me? No one looking around. Just slip your hand up for a moment and you can put it back down. Is there anyone? Well, it wouldn't be unusual on a day like today, a few days before Christmas when mostly it's the regulars who come to church. But sometimes there's a guest. But if you're here today and God was struggling with you, God was bearing witness with you that, that you need this forgiveness. Understand this, as we close this service in just a few minutes, his invitation stays open to you. You can come to me, you can come to somebody at the guest services booth, someone at the resources booth, t talk to one of the ushers and, or deacons, and we'll get with you. and We'll show you how you can leave this campus eternally secure in Christ. Now, let me change, because I want to pray for some others here today. Maybe you're here today, and life right now is not going real well for you. There's some significant challenges going on. And maybe this message resonated with you today in a different way. And it reminded you that even though it seems like it's been so long, and it seems like God is so far away, that that's not true, in fact. The truth is that the God of precision is active at, in your life already, manipulating your life circumstances, and at the right time, he's going to reveal his plan, and he's going to bring healing and peace to you. Again, no one looking around, you'd like me to pray for you at this Christmas season, that God would give you patience, and God would give you faith, and God would give you courage. No one looking around, would you just slip your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. Yeah, hands going up all over. Yeah. Okay, you can put them down. Father, I'd, I want to pray for these beautiful men and women. God, we, we just think that because it's Christmas time and Christmas season, everybody's just having a ball and everything's happy. It's a big celebration. But we know from life that that's not true. There are people who don't feel Christmas at all in their heart right now. And God, they may not even feel your presence. Lord, I don't know what the circumstances are in their life that has them discouraged right now. I don't know what's beaten up on them. But God, you do. But here is what I pray right now. 
God, your word talks about a peace that passes understanding that you can give us. And that peace comes in these times like, like so many of these are experiencing right now where it seems life seems so dramatic and so painful, so lonely. But God, it's not. You're there. You really are. And, and just like it took you some time to get everything in the world situated just the way it needed to be to bring Jesus into the world. And just as you're manipulating the circumstances of the world to, to make everything just right so that Jesus will return, you're doing the same thing in every man every woman's life who raised their hand just a moment again. God, I pray you'll let them feel your presence right now. God, give them a new burst of faith. Give them a new shot of energy. Give them that peace that passes understanding. And God, help them to leave here knowing that the God of precision is at work in their lives. Lord, bless us. Give us an amazing Christmas. Anoint us with your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.